Wow, that was powerful. Yeah. yeah, can you turn me down a little bit in the monitors and feel myself? Wow, powerful, powerful, powerful. Powerful, powerful. Man, let's give it up one more time for Kayla and Jane. And let's, get, let's give it up to God for writing those testimonies. Come on. Man. Come on. Yeah. Powerful. Hmm. Right now, just turn to your neighbor. Say, I'm glad to be next to you today. As you guys heard, this retreat this past weekend was a very powerful retreat. And it was, it was a powerful retreat for me personally, I have to say. It was a powerful retreat for, I think, every person that attended. I don't think anyone left that retreat not encountering God in one way or another. And um, today, I want to talk to you out of 1 Corinthians. We're going to continue this series, but we're going to go back a bit. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And... You know, from the retreat, God was just moving so powerfully and he was encountering people and transforming lives. And and in this week after the retreat, God's just been speaking this word to me over and over and over. He's just it's almost like the Holy Spirit's just been kind of haunting me with this revelation because he wants us to get this today. And so before we get into it, I want to pray for us because God has something he wants to say today. Yeah, let's open up our hearts and let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We bless your name for all the things that you've done. All the ways that you change our lives and how sweet, gentle, yet powerful you are when you move. Right now, we just invite the Holy Spirit to come to come and to fill this place. Holy Spirit, we ask for you to move in this place. Even as I speak at the sound of my voice, we ask Holy Spirit, move. Holy Spirit, your ministry is to magnify Jesus in our hearts. And so we ask today, Holy Spirit, would you magnify the Lord in our hearts? Would you magnify the person of Jesus in our hearts? Would you break through every barrier, break through every hardened place, break through all disillusionment, break through all discouragement, break through all distance, Holy Spirit, and and begin to show us who Jesus is. More than anything else, God, we want to know Jesus. He is the desire of the nations, and he is the desire of our hearts, even if we don't know it. So, Holy Spirit, would you awaken us today? Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We love you. We love you. You're so good. You're so gracious. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Today, I want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit. Today, if you're taking notes, the title of this message is The Spirit of the Lord. Turn to your neighbor. Tell him, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Yeah, you just prophesied and quoted scripture at the same time. 
And one thing, the one thing I want for you to get today, when you leave today, the one thing I want for you to know is that the Holy Spirit is on you to magnify the Lordship of Jesus in your heart. That's the one thing I want you to walk away from today is that the Holy Spirit, his primary ministry, the the third person of the Trinity, his primary ministry is to magnify the Lordship of Christ in your heart. He wants to make you into someone who walks in unison with Jesus, who, who hears him and obeys, who knows his heart. And when the Holy Spirit comes and when he moves in a place, he does it to magnify Christ in our hearts. You know, this past weekend was a powerful weekend. Amen. You know, like God was moving to such a degree where I had the fear of the Lord. Like I was praying for people, but Stephen Beauchamp, the the other guest speaker, he was walking around praying for people. And I was praying for people looking over my shoulder trying to figure out where he's at because if I get too close, I'm going down. No, seriously. I was like, Lord, I just bless right now. I just pray for them right right now. I just bless them. Uh, You know, like I was like, Holy Spirit was moving. God was moving to such a degree. And, and, and even, you know, at some point he, he got to me, you know, at some point it was, it was time. It was, we locked eyes and it's a knockout and Jesus, one punch. That's all Jesus needs. He just needed one touch. And I was, I was down. And as I'm on the ground and I, and I had this powerful encounter with God, I, I had this powerful encounter where pastor Benjamin calls me out and has me up to the front and, and I'm on my face in front of 350 people, highlights of my life on my face, face on carpet. But during this week, it's been a struggle. You know, you have this powerful encounter with God, and then afterwards, what happens? A lot of times we experience attack, we experience disillusionment, we experience discouragement. There's all these different things that can take place. And it was happening to me during the week, and and God began to speak to me, and he said, Marcus, you know, the reason why you're having this struggle is not simply because Satan is just coming to counterattack. It's because you're having, you misunderstand what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is for. You misunderstand when the Holy Spirit comes, what he's exactly, what he's really trying to do in your heart in that moment. And so God began to speak to me and he began to just, every day, it was just like, I kept hearing this verse and I've actually preached this verse before, but I kept hearing it and hearing it and hearing it and God began to unpack it. So we're going to look at first Corinthians chapter 12, one verse, verse three. Excuse me. It says, let's read it all together. First Corinthians 12, verse 3. One, two, three. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, I talked about it a few weeks ago when I preached on, on spiritual gifts, but I kind of skipped over it. I talked about it very briefly, and I talked about how the lordship of Christ is the revelation in the body of Christ that gets overlooked. We love to talk about how Jesus is your savior. Jesus is your friend. He's your homeboy. He loves you. He's your lover of your soul, you know. 
That's the first song I, lo- I learned when I, I learned how to play guitar. Because it was real easy. It's all in the key of G. You know? Jesus, lover of my soul. I sounded better than that. But the one thing that we don't talk about anymore, the one thing that we like to overlook, and the one thing that seems to move stuff inside of us, it seems to stir things up, makes us feel uncomfortable, is the Lordship of Christ. Jesus is Lord. He's King of Kings. He's Lord of Lords. He's Master. Oh, we don't like hearing that one. Master? Psh, I ain't no slave. Psh, who you calling a slave? We don't like being called slaves, especially me. There's a myriad of reasons for that. I want to, I want to unpack this, this verse for you. Let's look at the first part of it. It says, no one speaking by the spirit of God can say Jesus is accursed. Let me tell you about this word accursed. The word accursed means a thing devoted to God without hope of being redeemed. Accursed means a person or thing that's doomed to destruction. It means something that is devoted to the direst of woes, meaning that it's cursed. It's doomed to destruction. It's devoted to God, but it has no hope. And see, many of us in the body of Christ will confess, we'll sing the song, we'll say, Jesus is Lord. But in our hearts, we actually believe that following Jesus is a curse. You know, if I follow Jesus, if I go all the way, I'll be devoted to God, but I don't have hope. You ever been in a place where, yeah, you're a Christian, yeah, you believe in God, you believe in Christ, but you keep turning back to that same sin? You keep turning back to that same struggle. You have a powerful encounter. You have breakthrough. But the next day you wake up in the morning and you're still struggling. You go up to the mountaintop, but it seems like your your pillows and your blanket is down in the valley. So you go up to the retreat and you have this mountaintop experience and the Holy Spirit encounters you powerfully. But at some point you got to go back down the mountain. You got to go back down to your bed. You got to cut off the light at some point. Even if you got a little nightlight. None of us have nightlights. I don't. It's because my street's well lit, you know. <laughs> you know, many Christians in the body of Christ, we say that we love Jesus. We declare that Jesus is Lord. But in our hearts, we're saying, Jesus, it's actually a curse to follow you. Jesus, if I give up everything, God, if I really submit myself to you fully, you're going to take something away from me. God, if I, if I say, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you to the ends of the earth, God, you're going to send me someplace I don't want to go. God, that, that Holy Spirit encounter was powerful, but really God in my heart, you're only Lord over this. You're Lord over my Bible reading and prayer, but not my finances. You're Lord over my Sundays, but not my workplace. You're Lord over this area of my life. But when it comes down to this area, I'm not so sure. You ever have faith for God to impact you spiritually, but not naturally? 
No, God, I believe that you will touch me powerfully on Sunday, but what about on Monday? Somehow Sunday morning, our, our quiet times are the most powerful, but then Mondays, it's like we forget how to read. <laughs> Sunday services, we can p- pray powerfully. I just declare in the name of Jesus. And then Monday morning, uh, Lord, I just thank you. See, I noticed that there's this pervading view in the body of Christ where we say that Jesus is our Lord, but in our hearts, we believe that if we follow him all the way, it's going to lead us to a hopeless life doomed to destruction. You know, if I, Jesus, if you're really my Lord, if I really submit to you, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to end up broke. Because you're going to just want to take all my money. I'm going to end up alone. Never going to get married. And I'm going to end up depressed and without joy. We won't say this. We don't say this out loud. We won't, we won't ever say this out loud. But then when no one's looking, what's the attitude of our hearts? See, And this actually displays itself the most in our attitude towards hardship and suffering. Let's talk about suffering. Suffering is something that's referred to in the the Bible throughout. Paul talks about it, right? He talks about endure endure suffering like a a good soldier. I used to read like the the suffering verses and get queasy, you know? I was like, I I don't like that. Suffering? Hardship? Like you don't hear anyone's like, yay, suffering! I'm going to buy the suffering t-shirt after church. No. You know, I'll, I'll be vulnerable with you guys. So one of the first prophetic words I ever received as a Christian was about suffering. I remember. So there was this really tall guy. I won't say his name. He sees like angels and stuff. It's really cool. Really awesome. Really great guy. And, uh, and I won't say his name, but he... This was like five years ago, right? I first come, and it's like 2008, and he walks up to me, and he's like, Marcus, you are, you're a mighty man of God. I'm like, mm, yes, I am. Mm, mm. He's like, I just see on you right now a crown of purple and gold. I'm like, yes. Yes. You know, I just, there's, you've got, a, you've got a royal robe on, man. God just says you're a prince. You're a king. You're a prince in the kingdom of God. I'm like, mm, Yes. Mm, yes, you know, I'm receiving that prayer. And then he's like, and I see suffering. I'm like, what, 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 what? <laughs> he's like, listen, okay, you're going to have to go through some suffering. But don't worry, you're not going to die. I'm like, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> he's like, you're not going to die. And I feel like, I just feel the Lord saying India. I'm like, India. I'm never going to India. That's okay. That's that's cool. Two weeks later, Pastor Christian comes up, you know, announcement about summer missions. So we're going to do winter missions. We're going to go winter missions and we're going to two countries, the Philippines. I'm like, okay, Philippines. Mm, I love Filipino food and India. So I'm like, I got you, God. I got you. I walk over to the missions table, right? You know, the, the, I see the missions form. Philippines, yes. 
Circle, circle, star, star. I ain't going to India. <laughs> Next day, I go into the office, Pastor Christian. Hey, Marcus, come here. Okay. Um, hey, how's it going, PC? What you need? Uh, so, I want you to lead the India team. <laughs> Inside, I was screaming, no! No! But I said, um, do I have to? He looks at me and says, that's not the response I was looking for. It's like, oh, okay. I go back and I, I, I go and I pray and I go back in and I'm like, okay, all right, I'll go. He's like, that's more like it. We go to India. The whole time we're in India, we go to this region called Manipur. And at the time, Manipur was not safe. And I'm leading the team. And I'm thinking, I stand out like a sore thumb. Okay? Everyone, if anyone is going to get captured and arrested, it's going to be me. I'm like, ah. Oh. And so we, we go, obviously nothing happens. Like we minister powerfully and God just moves so powerfully. We go back. I'm thinking, okay, all right, well, India's checked off. Not going, nothing going to happen in India. And then the next mission season comes around. Where are we going? We're going to Myanmar. I'm like, wait, isn't that a closed country? Wait, like you can't go to Myanmar. How can you go to Myanmar? Like, and then Pastor John Michael's leading the team. And so like he knows about this word and stuff and, and this uh, same tall guy, now he's on the team. <laughs> and so before, but before that happens, one of the sisters, uh, well, she's now a pastor at, at Seaside, Pastor Mina. And she's really awesome, powerful woman of God. And she's really quirky, very quirky. And so she walks up to me and she's like, hey, Marcus. I'm like, hey, Mina. It's like right before we about, we're about to leave, like three weeks before. And she's like, yeah, I had a dream about you. I was like, all right. She said, yeah, yeah, you... You were standing on, uh, you were standing at like your wedding. I was like, oh, okay, all right. right, Who who, who else was there? Who else was there? Yeah. (laughs) And then she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were standing at your wedding on a table. And then some men came in with swords. And then they pulled you off the stage and ripped your guts out. Okay, bye. And she turns around and walks off. And I'm standing on. And all I'm hearing is, you know, this word that I got. And then actually during that time, too, we had another man of God come, Brother Michael. And he, he comes and prays for me. And he's like, Marcus, I just see powerful minister over here. I see powerful things. I see you standing over a, a huge congregation, all these things. And he's like, suffering. I see suffering. And then when he said it, I was like, what? what? He's like, are you listening to me, Marcus? I'm like, yes, yes. Yes, I'm listening. But you won't die. You're going to be all right. They're going to hurt you, but not kill you. I'm like, oh, okay. And so we go, we're, we're praying for Myanmar. We're praying for Myanmar. And then the tall guy that I talked about earlier, he's like, he's like, you know what? We're praying for one specific service in the middle of our, our trip. And he's like, I just feel like some violent men are going to enter this service. And I'm like, okay. John Michael preaching at that one. <laughs> and then, and then another sister, she's, she's, and so another sister, she's just now growing in her prophetic gift too. And she's like, oh yeah, but I feel like God's saying it's going to be like a, a wedding banquet. 
it's going to be like a wedding banquet. I'm like, that is not from Jesus. And then, and then Pastor Myungwa, so Pastor Myungwa, she didn't like manifest at all, but she's sitting there. She's like, oh, oh gosh, my ring finger's manifesting. My ring finger. This is God. This is God. I never manifest my ring finger. And I'm sitting here like, oh my goodness. Oh my God. And, jo- and Pastor John Michael's like, martyrdom. Yeah. I'm sitting here freaking out. We go through the trip, and then right before that, right before that first service, at, at that night service there, at this particular place, we named it by name, Pinluin, and John, John Michael comes over to me. He doesn't know, like, half this stuff. Some of it he does know. He doesn't know I'm wrestling all this. He's like, you got this one? Inside, I'm screaming, no! Okay. I'll do it. I preached. Power of God moves. He comes so powerfully. And God just moves in such an amazing way. But even even years after, that word about suffering just continued to be in the back of my head. Like every, We went to Bangladesh recently, you know? And there were like Islamic extremist riots like right when we were, well, actually while we were there. And the whole time I'm thinking, I'm like sizing up the team in my mind. Not Not really, but I'm thinking... Okay, who's, okay, who sticks out the most? I've been preaching at all the services. I've been talking smack about Muhammad. Oh, snap. I run the fastest, though. obviously nothing happened god moved powerfully and then and then in in at the end of march i got really sick and at the end of march i got really sick and i go to the doctor and they say well we found some nodules we found some lumps in your thyroid and when i hear this word now all of a sudden the words about suffering are coming back again and they're resonating now. It's like yelling in the back. Suffering, suffering, hardship, suffering. And, and it was like my Christian life all of a sudden became, became defined by hardship, by suffering. Where we, and I'm not saying that, I'm sure many of you don't have this kind of story, but in some scale, I know that a lot of us, we see our Christian walk. And what, ha- what began to happen was that I began to think, God, if I submit myself fully to you, if I go anywhere you want me to go, if I do anything you're calling me to go do, at some point, God, I'm going to run into this, you know, this suffering thing. So, God, actually, I don't want to go as hard as I need to go. God, I don't want to do as much as I should do. Because you know what, God, everything that I've heard and everything I've known about Christianity is that it's hard. That it's going to leave you abandoned. It's going to leave, you know, all the stories I've heard, all the words that have been permeated, all the experiences I've seen are people who are having such a tough time. And that's actually what it means to say that Jesus is accursed. 
And Satan, his, him and his legions, everything that they do, everything, their whole mandate, the whole temptation that Satan brings is to bring us to a point where we stop confessing Jesus is Lord and start confessing that following Jesus is a curse. Well, we start saying in our heart, God, if I follow you fully in my finances, my finances aren't going to be blessed. If I trust you fully in my relationships, my family's not going to be blessed. God, if I trust you fully with my calling, I'm not going to get to where I need to go. Because Satan comes with this temptation and he begins to, he begins to, it's like a, a tape he just plays over and over and over saying that Jesus is accursed. See, Paul says no one speaking by the spirit of God can say that Jesus is a curse. No one speaking by the Spirit of God can say that following Jesus is going to be a curse for your life. And if it's not by the Holy Spirit, it's by another. You know what I'm talking about? You ever thought that? You ever been tempted to think that about a certain area in your life? You know what, God, I don't know if I can trust you here. You know, any area in your life where you stop, start striving, it's where you've started saying Jesus isn't Lord and you started to say Jesus is accursed. Any area where you can't stop and rest is where you're saying, Jesus, you're not Lord. Jesus, you're cursed. Any area where you say, you know what, God, I can't lay this down before you. I have to pick it up and do it by my own strength. You're saying, Jesus, you're not Lord. You're cursed. He died for my sins, but not for my finances. He died for my sins, but not for my life. He died for my sins, but not for my vocation and calling. And it's because we misunderstand his lordship. See, the Holy Spirit, his ministry is about magnifying the lordship of Christ. See, that's the first part of the verse. I don't want to leave you in the pit. Let's look at the second part. Because see, what happens is we believe that we're saved. There's this dichotomy that, that happens in many Christians where we believe that we're saved, but we don't believe that God wants the best for our lives. That's why everyone hates Joel Osteen. <laughs> why is he smiling so much? It's because he's happy. <laughs> the Bible says that we're, we're taken from glory to glory. That means that today is my best life now. Oh, we don't like to hear that. That means tomorrow's going to be better than today. He's written out all the days of my life in his book of life, not death, when as yet there were none of them. Lordship actually is meant to be a joyful thing. We're going to redefine lordship today. Come on, let's do this. Lord, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That word Lord. In the Greek, I'm going to tell you what it means. It has four meanings. The first is master. Everyone say master. Master, master means that you're bound to something. And this is the one that we have the, tr the biggest trouble with, right? If Jesus is my master, that means I'm a slave. I don't want to be a slave. I'm not a slave. But we misunderstand God's heart when it says that Jesus is our master. If Jesus is our master and we are his slaves, that actually means that we're bound to him. The actual word when it says that Jesus is our master, it means that we're bound together. Paul 
Paul talks about it a little differently when he says that before you knew Christ, you were slaves to sin. That meant that you were bound to sin. That meant that sin was your master. Sin was your Lord. That meant that everything that you thought, everything that you did, everything you put your hand to, it had sin that was permeating all over it. But he says, when you put your faith in Christ, you're no longer a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness. You know how beautiful that is? I want you to stop and think about being a slave to righteousness. That means that everything you do becomes righteous because you're bound to righteousness. That means that your thoughts become righteous. That means your actions become righteous. That means that everything that you put your hand to, it becomes bound to this place of righteousness because you're no longer a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness. And the one who makes you righteous is Jesus. See, too many of us in the body of Christ believe, oh, we confess righteousness, but still we, be- we still believe we're slaves to sin. So that when we get before God, all we're talking about is sin, as if we're still bound to sin. But the Holy Spirit, his ministry, his whole purpose is to come in and say, listen, you're no longer bound to sin. You're no longer bound to that, that addiction. You're no longer bound to that pornography. You're no longer bound to that unforgiveness. In fact, now you're bound to forgiveness. Now you're bound to purity. Now you're bound to righteousness and wholeness. You're no longer bound to brokenness. So many of us, we think, I've got this area in my life and I'm never going to get free from it. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes to illuminate in your heart that you're not bound to that anymore. You're bound to righteousness. Isn't that amazing? The second meaning of Lord the first meaning is mastery. It means to, you're bound to something. You belong to something. It means belonging to Jesus, being bound to Jesus. Actually, it's three, not four, sorry. The second is, the second meaning of Lord is about which he has the power of deciding. It's one who has control over a person. When we say that Jesus is Lord, we're saying, Jesus, you are in control. Jesus, you are in control of my life. You have the power to decide. Proverbs says that many are the plans of a man's heart. But the Lord weighs the spirit. The answer of the tongue comes from the Lord. Psalm 23, it says, the Lord is my what? He's my shepherd. You know, for a sheep, sheep, sheep don't make any decisions. You know, they're not walking around, I'm bad. That looks like some good grass. I'm going over here. No, forget you, shepherd. No, no. Sheep don't make any decisions. The shepherd makes the decisions. It says, the Lord is my, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me rest. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The Lordship of Christ means that we submit ourselves to God and allow him to lead us and guide us. We allow him to make those decisions. And the Holy Spirit actually comes to help guide us in the same way. It helps to illuminate in our hearts that Jesus is going to lead us in truth. 
John 16 says that when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit comes and he leads us and guides us and corrects us and shepherds us into all truth. The Bible says the anointing will teach you all things. That word anointing means the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. But we have a misunderstanding of even what it means to be led by God. For him to speak to us. For him to make decisions and for him to have control. Something that God illuminated in my heart recently was that I have more faith for his rebuke than for his blessing. You know, last night I was, I was just, I was worshiping and I was just singing before God. And then all of a sudden God put this heart, this song on my heart and I just started saying over and over. And the words were, God, you're peaceful and meek. You're gentle and you're lovely when you speak to me. God, you're, you're peaceful and meek. You're gentle and you're lovely when you speak to me. So many times in my heart, and I know in many of our hearts, when God speaks, we cover up because we're afraid that what he has to say is going to hurt us. We're afraid that if God is going to lead us, if he's going to take us a certain place, it's going to be hard for us. But when Jesus speaks, it's peaceful. It says that he makes us lie down. The only reason why Jesus will ever make you lie down is because you're striving. The only reason he'll ever lead you, the reason he leads you besides still waters is because our tendency is to say, God, I don't trust in what you have to say. The Bible talked about it, how when he indicted the Israelites, he said, you've drinking from, you've forsaken the fountain of living water and drinking from broken cisterns that can't hold water. You know what it meant when it said broken cisterns? Toilets. That's nasty. He was saying, you've forsaken this this fountain of living water that can refresh you, that can give you everything you need for your own, for your own doing, for your own things. And he says, no, listen, I just want to lead you. I just want to speak to you. And the Holy Spirit, when he comes and he touches us powerfully, he's empowering us to better hear his voice. Last night when I was singing, I had no recollection, but all of a sudden the Holy Spirit began to illuminate, Marcus, I'm changing the way you hear. I'm changing the way you hear my voice. I'm changing the way that you perceive what I have to say. Because the Bible says that Jesus' tongue is like a double-edged sword. That the words that Jesus speaks is like a double-edged sword. But see, what happens is because we're afraid, because we don't hear God rightly, we harden our hearts. And so when Jesus speaks, you know, if anyone comes at you with a sword and you're in chains and you don't trust them, imagine, let's let's imagine you're sitting down in a corner and you're, you're wrapped up in chains. And this man walks through the door with a huge sword and he brings, he opens up his sword to strike you. Most of us in that situation, we're going to cover up. And God gave me that image. He said, Marcus, most of the time when I come to speak to you, you cover up. You cover up because you think I'm going to hurt you. But Marcus, when I come and speak to you, I don't want you to cover up your heart. I want you to show me your chains so that I can cut you free. 
See, for many of us, when God speaks, our flesh gets cut, but our bondage stays intact. We like, oh, man, that was a good word. Oh, man, that hurt me. Mm, that, that impacted me greatly. And then we go back to the same pit that we were in before. It is because our hearts haven't opened up to say, you know what? Actually, Jesus, I trust you. I trust that what you're going to say to me is going to be good for me. Therefore, I'm not going to bring, I'm not going to cover up my heart. I'm not going to try to protect myself. Instead, I'm going to bring you my chains. Because I know, God, you're going to cut me free. And then I can crucify my own flesh. The Bible actually commands us to do that. The third thing, and this is what I really want you to get. The third thing that Lord means, it means the possessor and disposer of a thing. It means the possessor of something. When we confess that Jesus is our Lord, what we're confessing is, God, you are our possessor and we are your most treasured possession. It means that all of a sudden you're, you're confessing to God, God, my heart and everything that's within me belongs to you. And there's this, there's this, there's this verse in Song of Songs, chapter 8, it says, set me. As a seal, it's the beloved. It's Jesus talking to his bride saying, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death and jealousy as fierce as the grave. That nothing can quench love, nothing can get rid of love. And when he says, set me as a seal upon your heart, he's really saying, I want you to put your stamp of possession upon, upon your heart. I want you to say, I'm, you're mine and I'm yours. You know, the thing about being God's most treasured possession, when you say that, God, you're my possessor, and you say, God, you know what? Your seal is upon my heart. The Bible says, actually, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. The only person who has authority to open up that seal is God. When we, make the, when we come to Christ and we make that confession, Jesus, you are my Lord, Jesus puts his seal upon your heart. And that seal in ancient times and biblical times, it meant that whenever a letter was sent, the king, whenever an edict was made, the, the king would, he would stamp it with his seal. And when that, when it went out, it meant that whatever was written was authentic. Whatever was written there was authentic and whatever, and it could only be opened. It could only be looked at by the person by whom it was being sent to. And when Jesus puts his seal upon your heart, when he says, I'm, I'm putting my seal there, I'm saying that your heart is mine. What he's saying is that everything I've written on your heart is authentic. The Bible says that God doesn't write anymore on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. And he seals it with his spirit. It's the image of a letter. But many times we think that other people can write upon our hearts, Right? Satan has somehow got in and he's put all this bondage on my heart. He's hurt my heart. He's, he's done all these things to me. This person's hurt me. This person's touched me. This, and so we think that what's written on our hearts is brokenness, shame, condemnation. But the truth is, Satan doesn't have authority to write upon your heart. Satan doesn't have authority to touch your heart. Only Jesus does. What he's, 
what God is wanting you to know as you're his treasure possession, when you confess that he's Lord, you're also confessing, God, this heart is completely yours. And nothing else can get in the way. We beat ourselves up. But the truth is that nothing can ride upon your heart except for Jesus. And see, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, his ministry is to illuminate that. He wants to continue to show you how your heart is fully his. When people were getting wrecked at the retreat and when God's Holy Spirit power was coming and people were like writhing on the ground and we're, we're like, oh, man, God touched them powerfully. Oh, man. Wow, that's crazy. No, really what was happening in that moment was God was empowering you to see that your heart is truly his. When he touches you, when he speaks to you, when his presence comes, he's saying, listen, you thought your heart was dedicated to someone else. You thought your heart was given to something else, but really your heart is mine all along. You've beaten yourself up because you've thought that, you're, you've thought that Satan has got in, but he doesn't even have that much authority to speak on your heart. Only I do. And he empowers us to know that we're his possession. You know, I started out talking about suffering. I started off talking about suffering and how I had this, you know, I've had these crazy experiences with this, these prophetic words of suffering in my life, right? And so every missions trip, it's in the back of my mind. Every time that, that something bad happens, there's always in the back of my mind this word about suffering. But then, but what, what began to happen at the retreat? Let me share my testimony from the retreat. I've always had in the back of my mind that God, that following Jesus to some level or another was going to leave me accursed. And that's not to say that you don't endure suffering and hardship. Jesus said you will have tribulation, but he also said take heart for he's overcome the world. But there was this part in me that I've always been like, you know what, God? It's been hard to trust him fully. That's hard for me to say standing up here as your pastor. But let me be honest. And so when I got this diagnosis that I might have cancer, when I got this diagnosis that my, my heart shut off, it was like my heart got numb. I didn't even know what to feel. And I just, and even, and, but going before God and being in his presence became harder. It became harder and harder and harder. And it was harder for me. I couldn't figure out why. I couldn't figure out why it was so hard for me to come before him. I just knew that this situation sucked. I just knew, man, it sucked. You know, being tired all the time, not, not being able to eat, not feeling well, and, and sometimes it being misunderstood, being lazy. But I was just exhausted 24-7, and it just, I was like, Lord, this sucks. And I'm standing before him at the, the Saturday morning session at the retreat, and the Itaewon team was actually leading worship. Pastor Mark was up here, and he was leading worship. And, and the grace that, you know, the grace that they release every Sunday is powerful. You know, when they get up here and lead worship every Sunday, it's amazing. The presence of God goes out in power. 
And at the retreat, they were leading worship, and, and they were just leading at such a high level. And all of a sudden, I felt God's presence. And I was standing there, and all of a sudden, I heard God speak to me. And I hadn't heard God speak to me this loud in a very long time. And God said, Marcus, he said, what if? I was like, what if? What do you mean, what if? He's like, what if? What if I don't heal you? What if I don't heal you and you have cancer? Am I still good? And uh, I was just praying, and I felt the Holy Spirit just nudge me. Because the Holy Spirit comes to empower you to say that Jesus is Lord, to say that you can trust him, to say that you, he's good and his plans for your life are good. And I felt the Holy Spirit come, and he said, Marcus, I'm giving you strength. And, and as soon as God asked me that, he just began to strengthen me. And I said, yes, you're still good. You're still good. And then he said, Marcus, what if, what if I don't heal you? And you, you have to go through cancer and you have to go through this. Are you still loved? And that was a harder question to answer. It was harder for me to answer that I'm still loved in the midst of hardship rather than God being still good. And I realized in that moment that there was deep offense in my heart towards God. The Holy Spirit began to come. And, and the Holy Spirit doesn't come to, as a finger pointer. He doesn't come in saying, ooh, look at that in your heart. Ooh, look at that. No, he, he's light. He comes in as light. And light shows what's in the darkness. So when the light of God begins to show, it, he's, he's not trying to just point out, oh, man, you're jacked up here. Oh, man. No, he just comes in his love. And that stuff gets exposed. Because he wants to deal with it. And all of a sudden, I felt all these words about suffering come to the surface. And all of these, this wrestling I've had in my heart towards God, because in my heart, I believed, yeah, Jesus, you're my Lord. Jesus, you saved me. Jesus, you set me free. But Jesus, there's areas in my life where I don't actually believe you're going to move. He said, Marcus, what if I don't heal you? Are you still loved? Do I still love you with an everlasting love? Do I still love you enduring forever? And it took a while. All of a sudden, I felt the strength of God come over me. And I said, yes, God, you know what? You're still good and you're still loving. But God wasn't finished. He wanted to put his finger on my relationships. He said, Marcus, what if? Because in my family, the testimony of my family is no one in my family is married. Divorce, everyone. And, and maybe that makes you uncomfortable that I'm a single pastor talking about relationships. I don't care. <laughs> he said, what if, Marcus? He said, what if, what, if you're, what if you're single the rest of your life? What if you never get married? Am I still good? You're still good. Are you still loved? Am I still Lord? And I felt the Holy Spirit come again to say, you know what, God? You're still good, and I'm still loved. You're still good, and I'm still loved. No matter what my circumstances are, no matter what destruction seems to happen around me, you're still good, 
and I'm still loved. You're still Lord. You're still my master. You're still the one that possesses me. You're the one who's in control of my life. You are the one who, who rules over all. And God, I am still under you as your possession, as one who is bound to you, as one who is always next to you, who is one that you will never leave and never forsake. I'm still loved. The presence of God was so thick in that moment. And it was right at that moment when that came out of my lips that Pastor Benjamin says, Marcus, Marcus, where's Marcus? Bring Marcus up. God waited. He waited for me to say, you're still good and I'm still loved. He waited for me to say that you're still Lord. He waited for that curse that I'd been holding against him, that offense that I'd been holding against him. He waited for that to get broken off so that then he could show how much he really loved me. See, God, he loves you. He loves you. He's so gentle. He's so meek. He's so lovely. And when he speaks to you, he doesn't come with a hard word. He's not a hard man. He's a loving father. Many of you have been still struggling in sin, not because God doesn't want to set you free. It's because you don't grasp that he loves you so much. He's already set you free, actually. He said, Marcus, come on to the front. I'm standing up there. I'm scared to death. I don't know what's about to happen. I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, he's going to either prophesy or he's gonna, he's gonna, I'm like, am I gonna get rebuked? Like, I don't know what's going on. I'm like, I'm kind of standing to the side, like, you know. I'm, and I'm watching the stage too, because I'm like, if he lays hands on me, I'm probably gonna fly off the stage. And I'm like, not knowing what's going on, and I'm, I'm already crying. It's really funny, because David O from Hillside, is, he, God, he loves me to death, but he's like freaking out apparently. I heard about it later. He's like, oh, oh, he has asthma, he needs an inhaler. He's like running around. Does anyone have an inhaler for him? Does anyone have an inhaler? He's having trouble breathing. Oh my gosh. Cause I was like, I was, I was crying, but he thought I was having breathing problems. And love that kid to death. I love him to death. And he said, he said, you know what? And then he began to, and then Pastor Benjamin began to say, you know what? Marcus has had this issue with thyroid, his thyroid. And, and he was like, I break it off of him right now. And he laid his hands on me and I felt the Holy Spirit come. Because all this demonic attack and this demonic heaviness had been upon me. And, and, it, and I'd been so tired and been so beat down that it made it so hard for me to obey. But all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit and God's graciousness came and began to break these things off. And I felt God say, you know what, Marcus, I'm empowering you now to live fully under my Lordship. I'm empowering you now by my spirit to live fully under my Lordship because that's what it's all about. That's that's what the Holy Spirit comes to do is to empower us to live fully with Jesus. Let's pray.